Luke chapter 13, beginning with the first verse. There were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeing fruit, seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone these years also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the grace and the patience uh, that is given to us by you. Lord, we thank you for this great and precious gift of repentance, this work that you do in our hearts by your Holy Spirit to turn us from, from judgment and sin to you, to your embrace and to your grace that is given to us through the cross. So teach us today about this world that we live in. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, those who, who may have questions about the difficulties of life, Lord, I pray that uh, for them maybe some answers would come. And I also pray, Heavenly Father, that we would know uh, once again of your amazing grace and of your amazing kindness that is given to us in Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So it has been one year. It's been a little over a year since we've been here. I guess this would be the one-year anniversary since I started uh, preaching officially as the pastor here at Maple Park Church. And what a blessing uh, to be a part of this ministry and to uh, be able to bring to you uh, God's Word uh, every week. And uh, I, I remember when I got here, I told you that I, uh, what, I, what kind of cake I like. And I, I said that I like chocolate cake with chocolate frosting. So I came into my, to my office and there was a chocolate cake with chocolate frosting uh, on my desk. Thank you. Thank you for remembering that. I love cake. I love sweets. And I think you can tell. Well, today we come to uh, a portion of scripture which I, I believe really helps us uh, to understand some difficult things. Uh, in our world. Uh, we, we live in, 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 a, in a country and in a world where we are very familiar with national tragedy and national heartache and many of us are also familiar with, with tragedy and heartache in our own lives personally as we experience uh, life in a fallen world. And oftentimes we wonder why do these tragedies happen? Why is there so much heartache in this world that we live in? 
and uh, we, we, we see it flash across our TV screens. And, and really, it's, it's very sad because the tragic events that are happening really aren't shocking us. They're not shocking us like they used to. For instance, when we hear of a shooting in a school or in another public place, it's almost as if it's just a common occurrence now that doesn't really affect us anymore. So first of all, I hope today you'll, you'll understand or have a different perspective on tragedies and what God is doing through them. And maybe more importantly, what he's not doing in them. And I also hope you'll have a, a better understanding today of repentance and of this great and amazing gift that is given to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in repentance. So today we'll talk about tragedy and natural disasters, shootings, persecutions, floods, hurricanes, in relationship to God's activity. We might assume that bad things happen to people because they're being punished by God. And we might also assume the opposite, good things happen to people because they're being blessed by God. So we have this idea, many people have this idea in their heads, well, if something bad happens to you, it must mean that you're being punished for some sin. Or if something good happens in your life, well, that must mean that you're being blessed in your life for something good that you've done. It's kind of like the, this concept of karma. Some of you may have heard of this whole idea and concept of karma. Good things happen when you're a good person, and bad things happen when you're not so good of a person. Karma, this concept of karma, is not of the Bible. It's not found in the Bible. If karma was true, I'd be in big trouble. I'm grateful that karma is not true. Because I would be the target of all sorts of bad voodoo coming towards me. So I thank God that karma isn't true. The Bible teaches something different than karma. Consider the prophet Jeremiah. I know that we're, uh, those in Sunday school are going through Jeremiah now. The prophet Jeremiah 12.1. Why does the way of the wicked prosper, Jeremiah cries. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Have you noticed that, that wicked people prosper? Why do all who are tre treacherous thrive? Not only do we see the wicked prosper, we see the faithful struggle. Don't forget about the horrific and terrible bloody persecution of Christians, of faithful Christians today in Africa. Don't forget about the farmers in Nebraska who have lost everything. For these things we need to be praying today. As Christians who take a stand on the word of God, we cannot say that one particular tragic happening is a direct retribution from God against a particular sin or sinner or a particular group of people. And this is what Jesus covers in these nine short verses of our gospel lesson today. 
How should we interpret natural disaster? And how should we interpret national tragedy? Is God executing retribution for specific sins? What purpose is served by natural disasters and violent outbursts which shock us to the core of who we are? Jesus gives us the answer by utilizing two disasters that had happened in Jerusalem while Jesus was ministering throughout the region of Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee. One was a violent outburst of Pontius Pilate in which people were murdered by Pilate. And the other was a collapse of a tower in which people were killed. Two national tragedies that had occurred during the time of Jesus. Luke 13, 1. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So here we have an example of a violent outburst. We are familiar with that in the world that we live in today. We don't know anything more about this violent and tragic outburst than what is recorded in these verses. Most likely, some people from Galilee traveled to the temple to offer sacrifices in accordance with the law of Moses. And for whatever reason, Pontius Pilate murdered them while they performed a secret or a sacred Jewish temple ritual. What happened to those Galileans would be no different than Christians kneeling at the altar to receive the sacrament and then to be gunned down while partaking of the sacrament of Holy Communion. Do you think that these Galileans, the ones violently slaughtered by Pilate while faithfully performing the temple sacrifice, were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way. Were they worse sinners because they suffered in that way? Jesus emphatically says no. Brothers and sisters in Christ, those who suffer natural disaster or national tragedy are no worse sinners than others simply because they suffer in that way. Natural disasters and violence are, however, a daily reminder that we are living in a fallen world, that we are living in a world that is under the curse of sin. And because this world is cursed by sin, we experience tragedy in this life and in this time. To understand why people suffer in such terrible ways, we need to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You see, Genesis explains so much. The first chapters of the first book of your Bible explains many of the most difficult questions that humanity raises. What is wrong with our world? Go to the first chapters of the Bible and much confusion is brought back into perspective. Remember in the Garden of Eden, humanity lived in perfect fellowship with God. 
And they lived in perfect fellowship with one another. Their community was the man in perfect union with the woman. The man and woman in perfect union with creation. And all of creation in perfect union with the creator. No sin. No curse. No disaster. No violence. But most of us know that early history of humanity. Adam chose to believe the lie of Satan. Adam willfully sinned by eating of the forbidden tree. After Adam sinned, all of creation was cursed. Human nature was cursed. We're all born sinners. One theologian said that if we if we were given a glimpse into our hearts and of what we are capable of doing as sinners, of what we are actually capable of, we probably wouldn't be able to live with ourselves. If we actually understood what we were truly capable of as a cursed people. How long did it take before, the, before the, ver, the very first violent act was committed. How long did it take before we have our first murder and bloodshed in the Bible? Remember, Adam and Eve's first son, named who? Cain, murdered his brother Abel. See how quickly this, this progressed into bloodshed and murder. And horrific bloodshed has been a normal aspect of our existence ever since. So really, when we hear of these shootings and of the violence that happens within our communities, there's nothing new there. There's nothing new there. This has been our existence since the very beginning. So what purpose does tragedy serve in our lives? It's the reminder that we live in a broken world. This world is broken. And the reminder of living in a broken world should cause us to look inside of ourselves and to recognize the brokenness that is within us. To know that we too have been infected by the curse of sin. And then it ought to drive us to to repentance. It ought to drive us to Christ and to clinging to him as our only hope in this broken world. Tragedy doesn't happen to specific groups for specific sins. It's not God's eye for eye, tooth for tooth retribution. The Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifice were not worse sinners than all the Galileans because they suffered in that way. No. Every tragedy that happens in our day is a reminder that we are all under God's judgment. The whole world will be held accountable to God. We live in a world that is deeply broken. And what is God's solution to this brokenness? 
Jesus. And it's us being turned to Jesus. Because it's only in Jesus that we can escape the curse that infects this world and infects our own hearts. So Jesus calls us to repentance. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Every tragedy is an opportunity for repentance. To look inside, to understand who we are as human beings, and then to turn to Christ in faith, believing. You see, repentance is the most beautiful gift given to us by the Holy Spirit. I was just reading in, in Luther's works the other day about how he used to dread the word repentance, but now to him it has become one of the most beautiful words. Because in it is revealed the kindness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Repentance has been confused and many people don't understand what repentance is. Repentance is more than a feeling. It's more than the feeling, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Repentance is a gracious work of the Holy Spirit through which we are turned from sin and guilt to face our loving Father in faith. And this repentance is granted unto us for Jesus' sake. It is all a gift of his grace given in Christ Jesus. Now repentance does include a deep understanding of our lost condition. It is coming to an understanding that, that we are sinners, that we are ruined. In repentance, there's a sense of guilt and sorrow over sin. Yes, to repent is to understand our lost condition apart from Christ. But repentance is also being turned in faith to trust in God's gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. So repentance consists of knowing that we are sinners and then grasping for Christ and holding on to Christ by faith. All of it, though, is a result of God's kindness in Christ Jesus. God is gracious. He's gracious to cause you to come to the realization of your sin. And he's gracious to you to bring you to Jesus and to give you the gift of faith by which you cling to Christ. And to know that if it wasn't for Jesus... If it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be in big trouble. I'd be in big trouble. The gift of repentance worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit is proof of God's kindness and love for sinners. God didn't love you. If he didn't love you, he never would have given you the gift of repentance. God is kind. God is patient. The kindness and the patience of God is demonstrated for us in the next part of our reading this morning, and that is the parable of the unfruitful fig tree. And Jesus told this parable 
A man had a fig tree, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. I think I'd be pretty upset, too, if I was hungry for a fig, and I went out to my fig tree and it had produced no figs. I'd say, cut it down. Let's plant a new one. So the man who went out looking for a fig and finding none ordered the vine dresser to, or the gardener, to cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Listen, this is, this is the patience of our God. Sir, let it alone this year also. Until I dig around it and put on manure or fertilizer. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Do you know that God does not take pleasure in the death of sinners? He doesn't take pleasure in the death of sinners. God doesn't want anyone to perish in their sins. He is gracious to provide time, to provide time for repentance. Today we are living in that extended time when repentance is available. This is the season of grace. Repentance is available. God is gracious. He is calling out to you. He is calling out to you. And we also see that this graciousness of, of digging around the roots of the tree and of feeding the tree with nutrients. Sometimes we think, oh, manure, that's not something I want to be around. But it's good stuff if you're a gardener. It's good stuff. So God wants to put the good stuff on the roots so that that tree can produce fruit. A Lutheran commentator that I read brought me to this realization. Who are those who are digging around the roots? Who are those that are bringing nutrients to the roots? They are those laborers who are praying for you. They are the ones praying for you. They are the ones digging around your roots. They are pouring on nutrients of God's word onto the soil of your life that by the gracious work of Jesus you will be saved on the day of judgment. Who gathered here today would say that if it wasn't for a praying parent or a praying grandparent or a praying friend, I wouldn't be here today. How many of you could say that? Amen. Those who labor in the harvest fields of an unbelieving generation are those who dig around the unfruitful fig tree. They are the ones who put fertilizer on that it should bear fruit in the future. So God is even using us in the lives of other people through our prayers and through our witness So that they too can bear fruit. That they would come to believe in Jesus Christ. We labor in the work of the gospel so that people will come to know the Savior. Will all receive this gracious work of the Savior? Will every fig tree bear fruit? Will all be spared from being cut down? 
We know from God's word that there is a day of judgment, and on that day many who have not repented will be cut down. So do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts to the call of the Holy Spirit upon you. Repent and believe the good news that is given to you through faith in Jesus Christ. Today we experience tragedy. We experience heartache. Today we are reeled about by the storms of a cursed world. But every occurrence of tragedy in our world is a reminder that we can turn to Jesus. That the garbage of this life, the tragedy, the heartache, the sin, the temptation, the darkness, isn't all there is. There is a Savior who died upon the cross to rescue us, to rescue us. So here's the big question, are you trusting Jesus today? Are you trusting him as your savior? Do you know him as your savior? Gets even better. Jesus didn't remain separated from this cursed world. Now if I was God, I would say I wanna have nothing to do with what's going on down there, right? If I can stay up here, I'm going to do that. I don't want to go down there. But Jesus sent his one and only son into this cursed world to provide for us a way of escape from the judgment that is coming. This world is doomed. This planet doesn't have a bright future. God's judgment will fall. So we cling to his word. And everything that this, that this world has to offer as we cling to his word, we understand that clinging to everything that this world has to offer is like clinging to a sinking ship. That's what it's like. You cling to this world, it's like clinging to a ship that is going down. Imagine being on a ship in perilous seas. We saw that on the news yesterday, right? The Norwegian cruise liner. A ship on perilous seas. Imagine being on such a ship. You know it's only a matter of time before the sea claims the ship and it goes to the bottom of the ocean with all who are on board. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? Yet a way of escape has been provided, a life raft that promises to take you into safe harbor. Who would reject an opportunity to escape death at sea? Nobody in their right mind. Nobody in their right mind. Many people at sea have not been granted that opportunity. Think of the Edmunds Fitzgerald sank in 1975. Those men didn't have a chance. But you have a chance. You have a chance. A way of escape has been provided for you. You can escape this world. For God so loved this world, that is, that he loved you. That he sent his one and only son, 
that whoever believes in him should not what? Perish, but have what? Everlasting life. He loves you. He doesn't want you to perish in your sins. Here is the way. Repent. Believe this good news. For to those who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. He's not going to let his children perish. He's going to keep you on that day. So I ask you today, have you received this gift into your life? Have you received Christ? It is my prayer that you have. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you and we praise you that in the midst of the difficulties that we face in this life, of the tragedies that strike our nation, our world, and our lives personally, that that does not have the final say, but that you are a loving God you sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And I pray for those who are gathered here today. That they would turn from this worthless world. That they would turn, really, from clinging on to a ship that's going down. And that they would then be turned to trust in you and to cling to you for life and for salvation and for eternity. Lord, only you can do this work. Only you can give this gift. So I pray now in the name of Jesus that you would work it in the hearts of those that are gathered here today, including me. Lord, just because I have walked with you and have sought to serve you, that does not mean that there isn't a need for me also to repent and to grab hold of you again today. So now in the quietness of this time, I ask you, congregation, to pray, to do business with God, to lay your heart before him. If there's anything that you need to repent of, lay it before his feet and receive once again the calm assurance of his forgiveness. Let's take some time to pray. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're present with us here today. And I thank you that you love us. You love us more than we could ever even begin to comprehend or imagine. We thank you that it is your patience and your kindness that leads us to repentance. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be turned by you to let go of those things which are going away, which will be judged, and, Lord, that we would grab hold of you trusting in you by faith. And Lord, we do also think of the many who are affected by tragedies even today. Lord, looking at the images of what has happened in uh, rural areas of Nebraska. Lord, those who have lost lives and have lost property. 
We think, Heavenly Father, of, of those, especially our brothers and sisters um, around the world who today are suffering persecution, who are being killed, murdered, simply because they believe in you. Lord, we pray that you would protect them. We pray that you would keep them in the true faith. Lord Jesus, even in the face of death, we ask that you would give them strength to hold on to you and to not deny the faith. And Lord Jesus, even within our own neighborhoods and families and within our personal lives, there is pain, there is heartache, and there is difficulty. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring relief and deliverance. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give patience and comfort. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would, that you would prove yourself to be the loving and the good and faithful God that you say that you are. Lord, we love you, we believe in you, and we trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.